0: Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gert. Welcome to today's uh, Go for Leadership episode. I have with me Zoe Dunning, and uh, she will be our guest today in the show. Go for Leadership Interviews. Welcome, Zoe.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here today.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Maybe, Zoe, you can give us a quick glimpse. Uh, uh, what is your, let's say, you have been your history so far, and maybe you can give us a, a short introduction of yourself to the audience.
1: Sure thing. So I'm uh, talking to you from Oakland, California, where I've lived for the last almost 30 years, but I'm originally uh, from a town of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, just north of Chicago. And um, when I decided what college to go to, I just chose to pursue a military career. So um, I attended the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis. Um, I did that because I wanted a college education that was about more than just education, but also about developing leadership skills. And uh, upon graduation from the academy, I served um, in the Navy uh, for six years of active duty and 16 in the reserves. Um, and after active duty, I went on to um, pursue an MBA at Stanford University uh, Graduate School of Business. And since then, I've been doing primarily consulting. And um, I started out in kind of more supply chain operational type consulting. But more recently, in the last 15 years or so, I've really focused on change management, management. Um, Uh, leadership development, um, you know, how uh, I facilitate a course now at Stanford Business School called Interpersonal Dynamics. So I'm much more interested in kind of the human aspects of of leadership development, of influential leadership. Um, So that's kind of my sort of professional career. And then on the side, I also do quite a bit of activism. So while I served in the Navy, um, I was one of the leaders in the efforts to open up the military to allow uh, gay and lesbian service in the military. So I had about 18 years of activism there, um, leading an organization called Service Members Legal Defense Network to um, uh, work with, you know, providing legal services to those impacted, but then eventually um, changing the policy in the United States Congress.
0: Wow, cool. Thank you. So let's maybe also jump directly into into the topic of leadership. And um, as our listeners know, the first question we always ask is, how would you define leadership or what does leadership mean to you in particular?
1: You know, it's, it's hard to really have one definition, because I really am a fan of situational leadership, right? Um, what type of leadership style you use, and what is important, and how you weigh it depends so much on the situation, the urgency of the situation, the complexity of it, um, the people that you're leading, the size of the team. Um, so for me, ad- adaptability and that flexibility um, is really critically important. You can't have a one-size-fits-all leadership style. Um, you have to I mean, as we've seen with COVID-19, right, it's, it's, you have to adapt to things that you probably never could have expected. Um, but I think some key tenets that are always important are, um, for me at least, is, um, you know, leadership by example. Um, you, know, I am, you know, I can't stand hypocrisy. I can't stand leaders who, you know, say do one thing and then you watch them and they do something else, right? So um, I think walking the talk, Um, leading by example is a core component of anyone's leadership style. Um, I also feel like feedback is an area that, um, you know, in American, in in, in any corporation, American or global, it's critically important to tie the team together and to understand how each other works, right? So creating a, um, a psychologically safe environment where feedback is openly given and received. Um, And we are there to help each other um, succeed is also a a key tenant of leadership. How do you create an environment where people can speak up and speak out? Um, Because if they're, you know, coming from a place of fear, or they're coming from a place of worrying about retaliation, should they sort of point out that something's not working, um, then you're never going to be successful in your organization. Um, And then finally, I would just say integrity above, you know, uh, all else you, it kind of goes with, you know, leadership by example, but integrity in what you do, doing the right thing, uh, even if it's difficult, doing the difficult right thing over the easy wrong thing and embedding that in your organization, rewarding and creating a culture of integrity by rewarding behavior that demonstrates integrity and um, having consequences for behavior that does not demonstrate integrity. I would say those are some of the, the key tenets of leadership for me.
0: Wow, well, I, I like them a lot. And uh, just to jump into the, the first one, leading by example, um, I, I uh, we have done a, a similar experiment, let's say, with, with um, putting a, a banana uh, into uh, an elevator at the morning of the office hours. And, and uh, unfortunately, the banana was still at the end of the day in the oh. elevator. So um, I think... Um, Everybody is part of a team in an organization and uh, to show how you want to have people um, behave in certain situations is not just overlook the banana in the elevators, really picking it up and put it into the, the, the garbage. So how, how would you say uh, you can uh, show this kind of little examples and also demonstrate to the team that this is now exactly how you want to have them behave? So how, how do you have you done that in, in the history or how would you consult people uh, being in, let's say, new to leadership roles? You
1: know, it's harder now with the virtual world. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, because our interactions are so um, curated, right? It's like, I am going to interact with you in this meeting on my calendar, you know, specific time. And a lot of times those leadership by example moments, even with that banana example, is sort of the, the you know, it's not the tile, it's the grout between it, right? It's those moments in between um, when you're just sort of being yourself and people are observing you, you know, in your sort of natural habitat, so to speak. Uh-huh. Um, I think if you want an organization that um, is willing to be open and admit mistakes, then you have to admit mistakes yourself. So I think um, leaders using, I would call strategic vulnerability. I don't think we wanna have leaders who are like all the time vulnerable, right? Uh, but I think demonstrating vulnerability, being able to speak up and say when you've been wrong, I think goes a long way. Um, I also think that listening, like if you have, I, Think about it yourself. What leaders have you had that you really enjoyed working for? they are leaders that really listen to you. They don't just tell you what to do, but they listen to you, they give you time, they ask questions. Um, and I think that that's, you can create that kind of an environment by doing it yourself, right? Get uh, element of curiosity, um, inquiry, um, challenging assumptions, and, and listening to the answers. That's how people feel empowered. That's how people feel like their voices are heard. Like they're contributing to
0: the overall mission of the organization. Um, I absolutely agree. And, and I think uh, you mentioned, of course, a headache uh, of, of all of us now with within the corona crisis, working a lot of in virtual setups. I think one thing that also is hard to experience, which is in integrity, right? Because everything gets so uh, somehow close, but at the same time distanced. And it's so hard to kind of, with all the information going around, um, show honesty and integrity which i think are the the kit that that helps us bringing what well, i say that, that, that i always said trust is like the kit between human beings and, and integrity is a big component in it so how um, how would you describe uh, uh, to facilitate, let's say, those kind of... Because I- integrity is also something that you show by example, right? It's nothing that you have or don't have. It's it showed by situations and you gain it uh, also a part of, of your, of your, um, of your uh, yeah, team. Um, how would you, how would you uh, give advice uh, to, yeah, to, to show integrity in, in this kind of distance uh, situations?
1: that's a tough one. I mean, I think, I don't know that integrity is degraded any by the virtual environment more so than the in-person. I think it's about making tough decisions. And I think it's, like I said before, about admitting when you've made a mistake. Um, And whether that is that as an individual leader or as an organization, Um, the ability for an organization to say like, hey, we thought that this was the best path forward. And we figured out at some point in time that this wasn't the best path forward. It may be a reorganization. It may be a new product launch. It may be, um, you know, a merger acquisition. Um, there might be a point in time where you're like, actually, this was a mistake. Um, we're, we're recognizing now that some of our assumptions going in weren't right. And, um, and we're going to change course. and We're going to change directions. Have the integrity to do that and not just follow your sunk cost and say, you know, uh, we're going to continue forward because that was the decision that was made, and we're going to, you know, move forward. I think integrity is making that tough decision to say we're going to change course, or we're going to uh, change direction, or we're going to decide something differently. Um, I think that that's one way of demonstrating it in the virtual or in the, in you know, the in-person world. Um, I think another way of demonstrating integrity is staying true to your word. So if you make a commitment to your staff, if you make a commitment to your team. You need to follow through with that. You need to actually do it. And it can be in the smallest of items. If you say at the end of a meeting, you know, I'll send out the minutes by the end of the day. You know, send out the minutes by the end of the day. Absolutely. Say I'm going to meet with so-and-so and get back to you. Get back to them, right? It's those little, little, you know, sort of micro transactions that build that trust and build that leadership because people know that you're accountable. People know that you, if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And that builds, you know, if you look at Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, right, you have trust and then there's accountability. And um, it really is, is critically important to any team to know that, like we say in the military, we, we would say, I've got your six, which means if you think of, you know, your surroundings as a clock, six is what's behind you. So saying that I've got your six means I've got your back. And um, I think when you're part of a team where you know everyone's got each other's back, that you're going to be held accountable. You can say, and you're going to do what you're going to say. I think that goes a long way with creating a very highly effective team.
0: absolutely agree. And I like, I like the examples that you have given. Um, so I always say, I mean, if I commit, and a commitment is a strong word in, in English, right? So if I commit to, to send out the minutes today, I would do that even if it takes me till midnight to get them out uh, because I said I will send them out. So um, do you think that that Covid also changed this a little bit? Because I I have seen so many people um, being much more open in in showing that maybe they have taken a wrong decision. I remember uh, pre-Covid times where always it was much more, let's say, popular to maybe hide away by showing that there was a mistake done or trying to escape um, that. But it, it's obvious that with COVID, there's so much uncertainties. There's so many, let's say, wheels that can shuffle around or situations that are unforeseeable uh, and unpredictable, uh, that that there is a certain, uh, let's say, improved openness for also acknowledge that, that failure is, is just part of the game.
1: I think we have been put into a situation where in in order to just survive day to day, we have to give each other a lot more grace than I think we did before. Mm -hmm. And there's also an interesting intimacy in Zoom where we're actually looking at people's living rooms or their bedrooms or their offices. Like we are literally in someone else's home. And I think we all know that we're struggling. We're struggling either we have a family member who's ill or we're struggling because we have to homeschool or we're struggling with our own sort of isolation if you live alone. Um, I think we're handling it with a little bit more grace, which is giving us a little bit more space to open up, to be a little bit more vulnerable, to admit mistakes, to really reach out and connect with each other as humans as opposed to just co-workers. I mean, I love being on a Zoom call. You know, I think before COVID, if I were on a call with someone and their kid was screaming in the background, I probably would have been annoyed, right? I would have been like, you know, come on, man, this is a business meeting, can't you? you know? Um, but now I just have so much empathy for everyone who's trying to juggle, you know, children or pets or schedules or, you know, um, family members or, you know, not being able to spend holidays with their families, whatever it may be. We're just having a bit more empathy and grace with one another, which I think is one of the the benefits of COVID, uh, unfortunately, Um, one of the the side effects of of coming out of this is just we see each other more as humans. We have a little bit more capacity and compassion. And I think, you know, going back to the meeting minutes thing, yeah, yeah, I may have made a commitment that I'm going to do the meeting minutes tonight. And guess what? Like I was exhausted at the end of the day after 12 hours of Zoom. I just couldn't get to it. And maybe I can't do it till tomorrow, but I'll send out a note. And I'll just say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I know I said I'd get the minutes out today. I can't do it. As long as there's nothing that's like urgent coming out of those meeting minutes, right? Which there rarely is. Um, I'll, I'll get it to you tomorrow. And I think nowadays we're like, okay, thanks for letting us know.
0: But exactly, this is as well accountability because you showed accountability to say, I, I knew that was my task, but there's a good reason not to do it tonight, right? So I think that that, that, that completely buys, buys into it. Let's switch gears a little bit. I'm also very interested about um, the leadership skills required in the military so one of my former bosses was ex-military and I I actually liked his leadership style um, because it was um, uh, quite uh, military flavored let's say this way but you could Mm -hmm. exactly know what what was the expectation so it was really precise and you knew when you followed this let's say task that uh, it would be a success so um, can you outline a little bit your experience? Let's say maybe the difference between uh, the leadership skills required in in, in the military field uh, and maybe in the in the more, let's say, out there business fields, if or if there is any any difference. I don't know.
1: I think there's a couple of things that I would differentiate. Um, folks who've served in the military, and I do a lot of work with veterans groups. I'm part of a um, I'm in a, the advisory board of a group called Vets in Tech, which helps mm-hmm. veterans who are transitioning out of the military get into the tech sector. I also serve on the California Veterans Board, and um, I love veterans. I just think that they're some of the most amazing can-do, resilient leaders around. And I think some of the things that I would differentiate, um, you know, sometimes people think of military leadership as like very directive and, you know, um, top-down and very command and control. And I've actually found military leadership to be very different. Because if you think about Navy SEALs out in the field or a submarine commander, like you have to make life or death decisions and you have to be very adaptable to what the situation is that's coming. You can't be overly formal and structured. You have to be able to adapt to what's going on. So I actually find military leaders very um, pragmatic and very adaptable to what's before to them. Um, the accountability aspect, I think, um, rings very true. Uh, when I was at the Naval Academy, you, when I was going through plebe summer, you had five responses. Yes, sir. No, sir. I, I, sir, which means I will do whatever you just told me to do. Um, you know, we're now able to say, I don't know. You're able to say, I'll find out, sir. So if you didn't know, you had to say, I'll find out, sir, or no excuse, sir. Those are the only responses that you were allowed. So there's a sense of like, you can't just be like, eh, I don't know, sorry. Like you had to either like, you know, say, and you couldn't have excuses, which is like either you did it or you didn't, you know, uh, there is no try, there's only do. Um, the last thing I'll say is the sense of teamwork. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. So my plebe summer, I was 18 years old. I was in Annapolis, Maryland. It was, you know, super hot, super humid. And, you know, you're running from evolution to evolution. And I, I shared a room with two roommates. And I came back to my room uh, one after, one hot afternoon. And I got to my room first. And in the military, you call a bed a rack. And my rack was completely missing, just gone, like no mattress, no sheets, nothing, just like the springs on the bed were a frame were there. But my two roommates beds were made and sitting there untouched. And I was so confused. I had absolutely no idea what had happened or what was going on. So I ran over and you know, I went down to my squad leader's door, knocked on his door, requested permission to come aboard. And I was like, you know, sir, you know, request permission to ask me questions and said, go ahead, Miss Shipman Dunning. I said, sir, do you know the whereabouts of my rack? And he was like, he's like, ah, yes, actually. Look outside your window. Your rack committed suicide. And I was, I was like, what? So I run back to my room. I look out the window. Sure enough, three stories down is my mattress with all the sheets splayed out um, and it had been thrown out the window. So I run running back to my squad leader's door and I knocked on the door and it said, you know, question board, question ask question, sir why did my rack commit suicide? And he said, your rack was made perfectly. And it was so ashamed that it had not taught your roommates how to make a proper rack that it threw itself out the window. Wow. And at first I was super angry because I was like, wait a minute, let me get this right. I made my bed perfectly and I'm getting punished. And my two roommates who made their racks poorly, are not getting punished. I do not understand this. But what he was trying to teach me was the concept of teamwork. That we're only as strong as our weakest link. That if I knew how to make a proper bed, I needed to teach my roommates how to make a proper bed. And so I was the one that was getting punished because if I had that knowledge and skill, I needed to share it. And so that's a lesson I've carried with me since I was 18 years old about teamwork and about, if, if you know, helping others out who may be struggling and um, sharing your knowledge and your skills and your talent. Um, I just can't imagine that happening in a civilian school um, or in a civilian workplace that, you know, sort of lesson around teamwork. We're all taught to like stand out and excel individually, but this was really about how do you make your entire team excel?
0: And I think it's, it's some of those uh, points where it's maybe easily said, but um, it's hard to really get it done. And I think that's a, a great lesson to, to foster really uh, think everybody every individual that uh, only as a team you can win and like you said it, it really is about that um, the one that has the skills to share it uh, and at the end so everybody can can get a little bit of it as well and uh, maybe the next time the situation is the other way around that you have somebody that shares his skills and his knowledge how to do stuff and i think um, that's that's part of a of a team and also of a successful company because you will not be succeed as an individual in this in this complex world. It's, it's evident. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe you can also share a little bit how, uh, as we have touched, let's say the the military aspect, and I, I have to say that one was really one of the the the, the best experience I had I had uh, from a from a leader perspective how uh let's say can maybe non military leaders benefit from 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 things they can maybe copy from from military leaders out of your experience or so what what maybe they can use let's say
1: well i will i'll turn the question back on you for a second now you said that you worked for a military leader and you liked mm-hmm. it give some examples what what did you learn from that military leader
0: um, that's an interesting uh, switch of the gears <laughs> sorry but but I I, I have to say um, um, it was actually all these aspects so uh, he was able to form the first time out of a heteroagoous group uh, a real team mm-hmm. and um, actually um, this team is still till now still in touch and we are talking about eight nine ten years ago so um, something that uh, I would definitely uh, say it was one of the best times I've had. So he was clear in his demands. Um, it was clear how we wanted the team to um, to manage to or to lead to. Um, so you had a clear direction. It was a clear team formed and it was a clear way how to execute it of course sometimes with with mistakes but uh, we 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 could uh, win together and we could could lose together and i think that's something i have not experienced that 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 often so uh, we could uh, shout out and say we agree to disagree but at the next time we could have a beer and everything would be in in order and we say well that's the the mission let's go for it uh, and uh, i think that's uh, certain aspects that um, have had uh, a huge impact for for the team. Yeah, in, in particular in a very difficult, challenging time. So revenues have been declining, profits has been really poor. So we really had to manage a, a tough turnaround, and there has been had. I mean, we had have to have have and execute really tough decisions, um, which is not uh, not easy. But um, if you have somebody that that guides you through this difficult times so with outlook, that if we go through. Um, we we can see, let's say, at the end, uh, at the end, uh, a light at the tunnel. So, um, and forming a strong team that that fights for each other without questioning: is he now, let's say, putting the knife in my back, or is he really part of the team supporting me the next time that I need support? And I think that that really was the key driver of of of, of the success at the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's great. I'm glad that you learned all of that, and I do think, um, in my experience. In the military, you really have, it's about servant leadership, and you really have to know your team um, because you're asking them to make huge sacrifices and, and, you know, put their lives on the line literally in battle. So you have to know them inside and out. You need to know what motivates them, what doesn't. Um, You need to know where their vulnerabilities are, where their strengths are. And so I think that's one lesson that any non-military leader can learn from the military is that how important it is to really understand your team, understand what makes them tick, what makes them connect, and to invest in those. You know, people make fun of like team building. It's like, oh, God, it's another team building exercise or team building game or whatever. Um, but it's so critically important because you can be super task oriented and sometimes you can build teamwork around a task um, and around a mission. Um, but it's that interconnectivity, it's that, you know, those, you know, Firing nervous nervous systems, you know, because you are overall a team like that is, you know, in the military the same mission team self, right? So it's about, um, you know, how do we create those connections? And you create those by getting to know one another through, um, you know, asking questions through self disclosure. You know, one of the things we teach at Stanford Business School is about um, you create greater connection by, you know, self disclosure, so people can get to know you a little bit better, but also creating an environment where you can give and receive feedback. And that way you get to know a little bit more about yourself because you get to hear from others how you're coming across and what's working and what's not. So self-disclosure and feedback are two critical components and sort of creating that connective tissue within a team and allowing you to, to know one another in a really fundamental way.
0: Perfect. Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gert. Thank you so I, I, liked, I liked your, your view on, on leadership and also the, the, the glimpse we have had uh, regarding uh, the, the military aspect and the learnings we actually can, can absorb. I think that's a huge benefit for our listeners. So thanks for being guests, our guest today. And it was a real pleasure having you in the, in the chat.
1: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: Awesome. Perfect.
1: Go for leadership.